Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Race is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Tuesday, November. <laughs> That's one hell of a start. Race is the nothing personal word of the day. It's September 6th, 2022, day after Labor Day. And I'm not talking about anything other than pennant races, baseball races. It's September. This is the month that MLB wants to be its second most popular month hours of sitting with marketing people and PR people. You want October as number one when your playoffs happen, but you want the month leading into your playoffs. You want that to be the month where fans are beginning to get used to watching baseball every day. You're willing to give up April, May, June, July, August, but you want it badly in September. So they sit around in the office and they try to figure out what are the storylines gonna be in September. What are fans going to be interested in? What will present itself as the catalyst to get people all in during the month of September so when October rolls around, Yahtzee, everyone's watching MLB playoffs. Of course, we were always competing with the start of the football season, which was a thing, the start of college football, which was a thing. So we needed something big, and we'd write stuff down. There'd be lists of possible things because you have to start this sort of in June as you start putting marketing campaigns together. You start filming commercials. The networks start filming things that are going to happen pregame before their national games. So this is a process. It is possible that MLB and their marketing folk knew exactly all the excitement that was going to be happening this September, or it's possible they're blown away. I think when you have a player who's trying to repeat MVP for the first time since Miguel Cabrera back 10 years ago, you're pretty much going to spend some time on that player. And of course, I'm talking about Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani won the MVP last year. And my query, which was a simple one, is if we're going to give him the MVP last year, and I would have voted for Vladimir Guerrero, because if we're going to give it to Otani, then when can't we give it to Otani? When will it stop? Or do we just recognize the fact that this is what it is? We're seeing history to the point where we will recognize it with an MVP award every single year. We're talking about a player 
who has 30 home runs and 100 strikeouts. Do you know how many players have ever done that? Ever. Uno. We have a player who has 30 home runs. He hit two more last night, by the way. And 10 wins. How many players do that? One. We're talking about, we use this word a lot. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it really slowly. Like, like you're listening to this on half speed. He's a generational player. <laughs> I guess he is. But if you're Aaron Judge, aren't you saying to yourself, I got this MVP thing wrapped up. I mean, look what I'm doing every single day. I've got 54 home runs. I am seven away from tying Roger Maris. Eight away from breaking the Yankees record. I could become the Yankees all-time home run single season record holder. And by the way, I'm having the greatest year in the history of I'm about to be a free agent. There are two types of players. There are players who on their contract year step it up. And there are players who on their contract year step it down. I don't think I've ever seen a player step it up the way Aaron Judge has betting on himself and then cashing in the way Aaron Judge has. It is especially noticed right now because no one else on the team, the great New York Yankees, were on schedule to win 190 games. Nobody else can hit on that team other than Aaron Judge. The fact that they still have a five-game lead in the American League East is obviously due to umpires making a bad call, but also that they were able to take to uh, salvage the one game against the Tampa Bay Rays and the fact that they built up such a lead over the rest of the mediocre East who were mediocre to start the season when the Yankees were not. The Yankees were runaway winners. Now they're only five games up. We got ourselves a pennant race in the American League East. No, we don't. A five-game lead this time of year, no matter how bad the Yankees' offense is, no matter how questionable their pitching is, to make up five games in a matter of, what do we got, a month? We go into October, don't forget. The beginning, who can even remember this? This is baseball at its best. All of the horrific tweets and anger and frustration of, my God, that lockout. I can't even remember the lockout. I think it was at the beginning of this spring training. I think that they delayed the start of the season by a week and moved one of the series to the end of the season so the season ends late so there's no day offs during the playoffs or fewer days off. Who can remember? I guess I do. And the other thing I remember is that given that we have a month to go, a five-game lead, my view was you're in it. The Rays are saying to themselves, we're in position to do this. It's going to be much harder than you think making up five games. Now, the Razors are going to make the playoffs, so there's not a lot at stake. Well, there's a bit at stake, but we'll talk about when it gets to the National League. But you've got an MVP race that Major League Baseball is going to promote all September long. Judge, Otani, Judge was running away with it. How do you not give the MVP to Aaron Judge with the season he's having? But Shohei Otani continues to do things that make you say, wow. They make you realize that you're seeing history. Now, Aaron Judge, I could argue we're seeing history if he gets to 62, although I'm not as sanguine when a, a individual player breaks a team record. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Like he's now the team record holder. Oh, it's the Yankees. That sort of ratchets up the coolness. But that's not cooler than all of baseball. 
and you can say what you want, and I have, about Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, anybody else. The single-season home run record is not 61. It's just not. It's just the Yankees. So if someone right now were going for the Cleveland Guardians single-season home run record, are you excited? Are you in? Is baseball sitting around making commercials about it? Hell no. The fact that it's the Yankees makes the networks and the league, it makes them all gooey inside, tingly. I'm looking at this MVP race, and I got a little tingle right now, although I'm leaning forward on my feet, and I got 42 minutes of sleep last night. So I've got tingly feet and puppy eyes right now. You remember. I don't remember, actually, but here I am. Otani for MVP. The voters have a real problem again this year. How do you not give it to him? Because his team sucks? That's not, that's not the criteria. It's not the most valuable player on a winning team that's in the playoffs. It is the most valuable player, the best player. It is not the player. Without Judge, where would the Yankees be? I agree. Without Otani, where would the Angels be? Just because the Angels stink, they'd be stinkerer. Now, the Yankees would not be in the race for the, they'd be in fourth place. Maybe they'd be the Red Sox. But that's not what MVP is. For me, and when I speak to writers about it, it is most valuable player to a team slash more than 50%. Who's the best player in the league? That's the question they ask themselves. Now, Vegas is saying, because all of you are betting, they've got Judge as the prohibitive favorite at minus 1,000. Otani's only plus 550. So if you think Otani's going to win, you've got good money if you want to make that bet. And if Otani does not win and he continues this September and Judge breaks the record, so let's pretend that they each continue doing what they've been doing and you don't give it to Otani, why did you give it to him last year? What's the difference? Because it's Aaron Judge? Vladimir Guerrero had a way better year last year than Aaron Judge. Now, I grant you, what Aaron Judge is doing is awesome to watch. Every other night, home run, double, walk-off, I get it. But Guerrero last year was even better. People will point to Aaron Judge since the All-Star break and say, hey, in the, after the All-Star break, the guys hit like 340. He's hit 21 home runs. The guy's unbelievable. Yeah, but the Yankees stink, so isn't that the same as Otani? Since the All-Star break, the Yankees are like, I don't know, nine games under. So if you're going to say Otani shouldn't get it because the Angels are bad, for half the season, I could argue that the Yankees have been bad. So I could talk you in circles here except to say there's only one group of people who doesn't care whether I talk in circles, and that's MLB because that's what they want. They want all of us talking in circles because that means we're talking about it. You're leading a show the week the NFL season starts. We are two days away, 48 hours. From the NFL regular season, these games count, man. And all of a sudden, we're leading with Judge Otani? Hell yeah. So then you sit around hoping for more. You got to have a got to have a little smorgasbord of Is it smorgasbord or smorgasbord? I always just end it in a way that you won't know what I'm saying. You need to have a smorgasbord of stories. So they sit around and they look at other milestones. Do you know before a season starts, every team gets a list from Major League Baseball of all the possible milestones of any player or team 
in baseball so that all the PR departments can have it. So when your team is playing their team, you can talk about it or just for talking points to the media in general because league-wide milestones, those are big. Albert Pujols was a league-wide milestone, needed like 21 home runs or something for 700. What were the chances? But still made the milestone preseason list. Meanwhile, the guy's got 695. He's hitting a home run practically every day. Hit another one this weekend, like a pinch hit two-run homer against the Cubs. And I kept thinking, this cannot be. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he's on steroids. I'm not. I'm not. I promise you. He's not tested positive, and he is being tested. He's clean. It's just remarkable. It is very rare for someone to go from so crappy to so good so quickly. Now, he's just good against lefties, people are going to say, and that's how good he's been. That's true. But the fact of the matter is, when you go from no power to all sorts of power, is that a coincidence? Does he smell the finish line? Like, does he say to himself, hey, I'm so close, I might as well now just do it? It doesn't work that way. It does not. There was a time in baseball when we all assumed that all the players were on steroids. We never knew, right? Because there was no testing. Remember, all the steroid stuff started when there was a quiet testing where a certain number of players had a test positive and then there'd be a drug program. Then there'd be suspensions. Then there'd be prohibitions against steroids. And all the people who took before then, even if they were had a positive test that led to the real testing, they were still not considered to be quote-unquote steroid users, right? I mean, Barry Bonds, did he ever test positive? Not that I'm aware of. Roger Clemens, I don't think he ever tested positive. Fernando Tatis Sr. never tested positive. So as far as the league is concerned, he never did steroids. But again, back then... We all thought that everybody was, but of course you didn't know for sure. So it's the same today, except the testing's way better. So I'm gonna give everyone the benefit of the doubt and say, wow, what I'm seeing seems magical. Albert Pujols hitting home runs, the way he's hitting home runs, it's like he dipped his bat into the fountain of youth and I am a cynical guy. I don't see that very often. Could he be the character that can do it? The majority of people who try to dip their fountain into the, dip their bat, four, six, nine, the majority of players who try to dip their bat into the fountain of youth end up with chocolate syrup on it. Like my friend Miguel, tough year. It happens. But boy, baseball's excited. They're gonna have Rob Manford traveling around. Well, they probably will send Dan Hallam. Maybe Mike Hill. I don't think it'll be Rob because he's not going to beat Bonds' record. It's just to get to 700 to be the third player, right? So, yeah, I don't think the commissioner will travel for that. He'd be too tired and too grumpy. But it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. So that's a storyline. And then how about the next one? This is a good one. Scott Riley, you listening? Matt Coco, where are you? This is a real storyline. The Mets could blow the NL East. We've talked about it. Go to a previous show because there's a lot at stake. Scherzer pulled a Dodger last night, two nights ago. And I'm not anti-Scherzer. And I'm not saying that he's on anything either. I'm just saying that there comes a time when when you're old, it's super hard to be as good as these guys are. Max Scherzer's tired. He was pulled out of a game with fatigue, left side fatigue. I'm 
being overly cautious. It didn't warm up. That's what old people say. That's what I say when I get out of bed. I didn't quite get out of bed the way I normally do. Or you start running a little bit. Ooh, I'm a little creaky more than I usually am. So Maxie said, hey, I'm a little more fatigued. By the way, welcome to your 40s. Although I don't think Max is 40, but just you wait. Actually, 40s are fine. Wait till your 50s. Holy shnikes. That's when shit starts coming apart. The little aches that you assume will not happen to you are happening to you every day. Like, ooh, God, that one never hurt before. Oh my God, I just reached, like to get something. I did this when I was moving Caleb, my son, into his college dorm. Just two weeks ago, I reached to try to clean behind the front of the bed to the side of the radiator and it required a level of arm extension that both five foot five guys don't have and old men trying to lean on the tippy toes where they can practically blow their Achilles. They lean so far over their shoulder practically pops out and it hurts for 10 days, 10 days. That should be a two minuter. That's called fitty. So Scherzer isn't there yet. But he got pulled out of the game. Remember when for the Dodgers, he couldn't pitch at the end because he had arm fatigue? For the Mets to be the Mets, they need DeGrom and Scherzer. We've said that, period. When DeGrom and Scherzer don't win, they're not going to win four out of seven game series. Their offense has been somewhat light. Although a lot of offenses are light, but it's light. But it's an exciting, there's only a game back. And the Braves, people are sleeping on the Braves. Don't sleep on the Braves. Do the Braves have a better record than anybody in baseball since a date, like a date long ago? Could we take a date like May 1st and say the Braves have the best record of baseball? Each team does a separate, here's a little nugget that happens inside front offices. We have stats that we have put in notes. The notes go to media people. The media people tweet it out and then national media people pick it up. And so what you end up seeing are different lists of different things. Best record in the National League since May 31st. And that's a team. If that's your team, that's the stat you say. Best record in the American League since June 15th. If that's your team, you say that that's sort of the parameters. So you find a parameter that makes you the best at something, and then you release that. The most games gained in a division race since August 1st. And then, like, the Rays may say that if they've gained that many games. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what people do. It's so funny. Like, you have staffs of people who they're trying to come up with these sort of stats. Like Coco just said, the Braves have the best record in baseball since May 31st. (laughs) That's the exact stat I'm talking about, Matt. Right? There's three other teams who will have a different stat about best record. Anyway, it's pretty good. And the last storyline. So we've got Judge. We've got... Judge versus Otani MVP. We've got Pujols home run up 700. We've got Mets Braves, Yankees Rays. And the last one is the Dodgers. The Dodgers have to be a story, right? You take an East Coast team and a West Coast team that are always going to be the story. If they stink, that'll be the story. If they're great, that'll be the story. But you have to include the coasts in the story. They're 50 games over. They are right there to win the most games in the history of baseball. They only need to go, wait for it, 25 and three to get the record. That's it. 25 and three to win a buck 17. Piece of cake. That's how hard it is to win. Remember when all of you Yankee fans said, oh my God, the Yankees are gonna break the record. My kid, they're, they're trending to win 147 games. It's hard. 
as good as the Dodgers have been, they don't lose. They still have to go 25-3 and three to break the record. I don't care what team you have or what payroll you have. To go 25-3 and three over a 28-game stretch, that's rare. But that's what the Dodgers are trying to do. So sit back and enjoy September storylines because October is right around the corner. While you're enjoying baseball, I see no reason at all that you would not be watching the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. We actually started two shows last week about the U.S. Open. We talked about Serena and her winning her first and second round match and what it meant to the USTA, what it meant to ESPN, the ratings, the crowd, just everything about her winning mattered. She then had to face Tom Yanovich. Isla Tom Yanovich from Australia. I mean, not really from Australia, but she says Australia. She came to Australia. I wonder when you get to change. Remember when Naomi Osaka went from USA to Japan to USA, and I couldn't remember, and it had to do with wants to play for the Olympics, I think, with Japan, but grew up in the U, in Boca maybe or somewhere at a voluntary tennis center. Not voluntary, but maybe. You remember, I first learned about this with a guy named Boris Becker. Boris Becker all of a sudden was from Monte Carlo where they would go Monaco, right? Where there's no taxes. And now we know why he didn't want to pay taxes because he wasn't paying taxes. And now he's bankrupt and selling trophies that got stolen. So all of a sudden, Tommy Yanovich is Australian, which is great. She gets on the court against Serena Williams. And you look at her and you're, she's not going to beat Serena Williams. And then the match actually starts. And you realize that this unseated player is better than Serena Williams right now. She matched the moment in front of 19,000 people screaming for Serena to win, Serena lost. I found it, it very interesting post-match. When the greatest of all time is done, sometimes it's hard to know, right? If the greatest in basketball hurts himself, leaves the court, you don't know for sure will that be the last time that he'll ever play. So there's no warning, right? The end of the season for a team making the playoffs, Maybe there's no warning because there's another game. Maybe the last game that a team is eliminated where you don't think the player's coming back, that could be a last game. But there's so much emotion in that. In tennis or an individual sport, hey, this is my last tournament. Everything's going great. She loses. There's videos. There's Oprah. And then she's interviewed after the match. And Mary Jo Fernandez says, hey, you're so good. Aren't you going to come back? And she dropped it. Serena dropped it on us and for me, ruined the entire week. All the emotion I felt towards Serena, all the happiness and excitement. Oh my God, I've seen the bookends. I'm old, but I've seen the bookends. I saw the start, I'm seeing the finish. This is the number one, number one. Sorry, Margaret, you're not. Okay. And Serena says, hey, you never know. God dang it, I said to myself, that sounds like someone who once she's tired of doing errands and venture capital meetings where you've got to put toothpicks in your eye to keep them awake. She's going to say, this is ridiculous. I could be playing. People love me way more when I was playing. I'm back, baby. Why couldn't she have just said, listen, it's great to go out with the feeling that I could beat anyone on this tour. I have nothing left to prove. I am so thankful to the New York crowd and to the crowds around the world and to my sponsors and to the people with whom I'm going to work going forward that I am blessed to say that you didn't have to rip the racket out of my failing hands. 
that I placed it from my hands of greatness back into the bag? Thank you for that question. That would have been put a bow on it and just a chef's mwah. Instead, we got a, hey, you never know. That bothered me. Last night, I was at a uh, wedding trying to figure out words to songs and trying to dance and look cool and knowing that it was going to be a late night and early morning. And there were a bunch of people at the wedding who were checking Nadal scores while the match was happening. Now, there was no TV brought into the wedding because everyone had a phone, but no one was actually watching the Nadal match because it was a round of 16 match. So this is not exactly, uh, you know, interrupting the festivities, which, by the way, were phenomenal. Again, Sam, you're a very lucky man. Try not to screw it up. So Nadal, through the course of the night, loses. And it got me thinking... I didn't remember. So Nadal lost to an American, which is pretty interesting, right? Francis Tyfo, if you don't know who that is, uh, you're not alone. I had never heard of him, and I admit that. I'm okay to admit that there was a time when I could name Sampras and Agassi and Connors and McEnroe and the American Tour, and then you had Roddick, right? I mean, there was a, a, a James Blake. You had Marty Fish, our guy, right? Now there's a new group of Americans coming up, in theory. This could be one of them, maybe not, but he beat Nadal, the youngest American since Roddick in 2006. That's 16 years ago. Nadal doesn't lose, right? I mean, just think about, this is some of the stats I read, and then I want to talk about the match for one second, not what happened on the court, but what happened off the court. Just think about this stat. Nadal has been 31-2 and two versus Americans in majors. Americans just don't beat him. He had won 27 straight against Americans since he lost to James Blake in 2005. Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic are the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Is that the three, Coca? Sorry, Rabbi. I think that's the three. They win. They're in Grand Slam finals. They get to the quarterfinals for sure here's a stat this is the first time since 2005 that all three of them will not be in the quarterfinals folks that's 17 years ago where one of three players has been in a quarterfinal of a major tournament in tennis 17 years ago let's say they all started at 20 then they'd all be 37 that's old but they're even older now It's staggering. Those three have 63 Grand Slam titles. 63. It's like 22, 21, and 20 with Nadal in the lead. When the U.S. Open makes its schedule, you saw that Serena got the nighttime matches. Nadal is the biggest star in the tournament, bar none. They need him into the semifinals or else they've got to come up with other stories. So they sit around before the US Open starts and they look at the draw. They look at the likelihood of who's gonna be where, how it's gonna work out. They start planning about day versus night. Like for example, the semifinal round is this Friday in the US Open mail. One of them starts at three, one starts at seven, two different tickets, not like the old days where you could go on a Saturday and for one ticket, get both men's semifinals and the women's final in between. They called it Super Saturday. It was my favorite day of the year because you're watching 
tennis all day and you'd get like an Everton Evertilova or you'd see Steffi Graf or Monica Seles in a final and you get two insane like three to four hour men's semis. Now, of course, because greed is good, it's separate tickets for all of them. Mm. God, I wish people had thought of that earlier. It makes such good sense. I have no idea why they just figured, hey, we can start that recently. So I was just thinking about the storylines that tennis people are coming up with, like baseball, and they needed a doll to play the 7 p.m. Friday night semifinals match. And now they've got to focus on what else do they have? I mean, they could have Kyrgios. He's the only guy who's beaten the number one seed twice in a year. He beat Medvedev. Not a great story. How many of you knew that Medvedev was the number one seed? Probably not. You knew Nadal was the two seed. You've heard of Nadal. That's the issue when you go from an era of a big three like this, and all of a sudden, you have to figure out who's next. Women's tennis has been much better about that, about keeping the line moving through early retirements and having new number ones, etc. Men's tennis has not been very good at that, and it's a major problem. So they're sitting around now and they're working with ESPN and figuring out how to do videos and how to make these players look cool and not talk about their tempers or not talk about their lack of sportsmanship. None of that. They got to figure out how to make the cool kid look cool to those of us who long for the ones who used to be cool. The transfer of power in sports, both individual and team, is something that gets massaged by those in charge months and years in advance. And it gets screwed up every time the person who's supposed to lose power or give up power doesn't do it gracefully or timely. Like when superstars say, oh, I'll play one more year. But you're not good anymore. Yeah, but give me one more contract. I'll play one more year. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. There was some of that in Los Angeles. He played on and got that huge contract from the Lakers. There are veteran players all the time who want one more, one more, one more. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in tennis, but I'm saying it here today. After Nadal lost, Jokovic didn't play because of vaccination. Federer didn't play because of multiple surgeries, hasn't played since 2021. The era of the big three is officially over. We will look back at 2022 as the year it ended. We look back at, what, 2005 since the year it started? And my definition of it ending is that they don't win more than one grand slam between the three of them ever again. So my wait to see is that in 2000, wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. My wait to see is that next year, tennis, men's, if someone gives you the over-under of 1.1 for Nadal, Jokovic, and Federer, take the under. Between the three of them, they will get no more than one Grand Slam. And that over-under is going to go to .9 the year after. But it's at 1.1 for 2023. Wait to see. That's official. We come back. I did something yesterday that I don't do that often, but I needed to yesterday for a very bizarre reason. And I will get into it when we come back. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Please continue to rate, review, and follow Nothing Personal. Tell your friends about it. We have fun here every day, except some holidays. 45 minutes, just me, just you. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. That's me and Coke I'm talking about. So I try to watch something new every day because I watch a movie every day. That's my thing. I've been doing that long before Nothing Personal. And then all these streaming series came out. So I started watching TV, like not when it was on the networks or not when it was being released once a week, but like I binged West Wing and Breaking Bad. I'd never really binged before four or five years ago. So I still do that. I'm in the middle of now. I have to, because of how it works, on my notes, I have notes on my phone. And the thing I do about my notes is that I keep track of what I'm watching when it's not a binge. So I know exactly what I need to do on what particular day. So for example, currently on Tuesdays, I have to watch The Patient and on Fridays, I have to watch Five Days in Memorial. And today I've got an episode left regarding the marathon bombings. Yes, I keep track of stuff. I admit it. So this weekend, someone was talking to me about age and the fact that I was, and this is gonna come out wrong, there's no way to make this segment come out right, but here it is. I am lucky in that I am both short and I don't dye my hair, I don't have a lot of gray hair, and there are those who say, wow, you don't look 54. 
and when I say, yes, I'm 54, they say, wow, you're sort of on the edge of creepy, but not quite there. So I'm dancing, I'm having fun and doing what I'm doing because I like going out and I like partying and I like having fun. And I don't want to be the creepy uncle, right? And I mean uncle in parentheses, not, I'm not with my nieces or nephews in that way at all. I'm just saying in general, you want to go out and, and boogie because I remember the 49th day of September and a movie came up called This Is 40. And I had only seen This Is 40 one time and I had not thought about it in way too long or remembered it. So guess what I did? Came back and at a late night showing, I think it was, uh, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was Saturday night of this weekend, which equals a Sunday night. So Sunday, Saturday nights to me are when you have no work the next day, but the next day is the day you get anxious for the day after, which is work. And on a long weekend, it pushes a day. So Sunday night is Saturday night on Labor Day weekend. So Sunday night, I put on This Is 40 at about 1.15, go straight through for an hour and 40 minutes. I had totally forgotten, having seen it only once, that Melissa McCarthy plays a fascinating and funny role in this movie. I'd forgotten how brilliant Leslie Mann was in this movie. I'd forgotten about Albert Brooks and John Lithgow who play the parents of Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. When I, I'm not flexing it, but Paul Rudd's a huge Royals fan. You could imagine that maybe there are people in baseball who would have met Paul Rudd because he's such a huge Royals fan. How could I not have discussed This Is 40 with him and that performance? This Is 40 is a movie that if you've not seen and you are 40, see it right now. If you have not seen it and you're 20, go see it right now. If you are 60 and have not seen it, go see it now. Why can every demographic and every age group see this movie? Because Judd Apatow is brilliant. Hard stop. He has captured the exact essence of 40 having young kids, figuring out your marriage, trying to understand how to live in this world when you are living with just someone and kids and dealing with aging relatives and dealing with all the things that we all have to deal with. I'm not spoiling it because the movie's been out for a long time, but when you have to play Scrabble with your underwear around your ankles and the door closed on your device, and you're getting yelled at to hurry up, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, I am talking about that. This is 40. Go watch it again. And if you haven't, you're welcome. Nothing personal pick of the day. We went 3-0 and this weekend. We gave you three picks for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I really hope you remember them. We had... Jordan Montgomery of the Cards beating the Cubs on Friday night. Jordan Montgomery had one bad start since the Cards got him. Harrison Bader, who they traded to the Yankees to get Jordan Montgomery in a deal that everyone said, how could you ever make that deal if you're the Yankees? We need pitching. But Brian Cashman said, we need offense. We need, we need center field play. Trust me. Now, Andrew Benatendi broke his hammock bone. He was a trade deadline acquisition for the Yankees. He's going to be out for four weeks. That gets him through October. He may have a chance to come back for the playoffs, but he's going to miss a month. Aaron Hicks is terrible. They need outfield help. Harrison Bader hopefully is coming back, but boy, do they miss Jordan Montgomery. And Jordan Montgomery, there are some players when they get traded, they get so angry that they were not respected properly or not viewed as as good as they are. 
that they have like a personal vendetta. That's how I feel about this player for the Cardinals who just doesn't lose. So that was a give me on Friday. Saturday for me was also a pretty easy one. We wanted to talk about the Dodgers-Padres all season, the Padres. Do you remember when the Padres traded for that guy? Uh, He used to play for the Nationals. His name is Juan Soto. Do you remember that? He's the free agent to be in a couple years, the biggest trade in the history of trades. A.J. Preller, the genius. The Padres are a juggernaut. They're now favored you know, to win the World Series or they made up like 100 points and the, they were minus 500 and then they were minus 400. Something ridiculous because of a trade. And I sort of yucked on the yum saying, just be aware, right? This is what the Padres do. They're never catching the Dodgers and they're lucky to make it out of the wild card round, which is now a two out of three. So the Padres were playing the Dodgers and pitching for the Dodgers. Every time he pitches, take him. Urias, he's their ace. They got no one left. Just remember, Gonsolin's hurt. Kershaw's now back, but not an ace. Bueller's hurt. Urias is postseason tested. Ace, easy pick over Manaya, who is another trade deadline acquisition for the Padres, 2-0. And then we got to Sunday. And you may have said, ah, he's going against his Marlins again. No, I'm going for Max Fried. These matchups, as we get into September, the pitching matchups matter even more than they do during the summer or during the early part of the season because you have a much better idea of who's who and what's what. Pablo Lopez of the Marlins is a solid pitcher. Almost got traded to the Yankees at the deadline. He is one of the great pitchers the Marlins have. But guess what? He's fine. This season, he's been fine. And when you're just fine and you have a team that can't score and you're playing against the best team in baseball since May 31st, I checked that before making this pick, and you've got the best pitcher on the best team pitching, you take them. The Braves beat the Marlins. That's an undefeated week. And so we're 96 and 78. How many of you had... On your bingo card, the Mariners, hey, Coca, we forgot to do this. All right, hold on. We got to do this. Check it right now. Ready? Do the Mariners have the best record of something since some time? There is a way, and Coca can't do it in the middle of the show because I'm going to ask him to do 59 things. My guess is the Mariners PR are releasing a stat where they have the best something since something. Maybe the best turnaround. Do you remember the show I pre-taped with Coca before I went to Africa and I had the Mariners on my most disappointing teams? Because preseason, I had the Mariners playing in the postseason and breaking their postseason drought. And then they played terribly. Since that time, really since right, I'd say a week before the All-Star break, the Mariners have just been on fire. Here it is. is. This is not rehearsed, folks. Ready? The Seattle Mariners have the best record in the American League since July 1st. (laughs) Does anybody see the humor of what I had said before and how accurate it is now you're seeing? We can just come up with a team and we can get a stat of where they're the best and that's the stat that you give. Hey, I got one for you. Does Albert Pujols lead the National League in home runs since a time? Like since August 15th. Albert Pujols has the most home runs in the National League. (laughs) That'd be a stat. 
He's not he's not on the home run board. Do you know that Aaron Judge is leading the entire league in home runs by almost double? I think number two is Kyle Schwarber. He's leading the National League. And I think Schwarber's in the 30s. He may have 16 more home runs, 26 more home runs than anyone else in baseball. I've not seen someone run away like that since that player on San Francisco wore a size 12 hat. Like, it just doesn't happen all that often. What is that? He's got 18 more, 18 more than Schwarber. Did I do the math wrong? 54, 34, 36. Yeah, that's 18. Is Schwarber still ahead of Paul Goldschmidt? Paul Goldschmidt, the Triple Crown, they're really not looking at that too much. I think Schwarber is probably still ahead of Goldschmidt in home runs. I haven't looked at RBI, and I think he has average wrapped up, but he's not going to win it. Anyway, the Mariners have the best record in the AL since July 1st. They are playing the White Sox, who have the best record of any interim manager since September 1st. You, You should check that, Coca. I think the best record of an interim manager since September 1st is likely Miguel Cairo of the Chicago White Sox, who took over for Tony La Russa, who's out indefinitely. The White Sox are chasing their tails. They've got their best pitcher, who has absolutely been slurping, slurping from the fountain of youth in Johnny Cueto. But I'm taking Logan Gilbert and the Mariners because the Mariners have the best record in the AL since July 1st. So that's my pick of the day. So when baseball sits around and they discuss September storylines, they're discussing what the media points are, right? They're going through all of the different ways they're going to get you information, little tidbits that you can tweet out or tell your friends or just draw interest. That is all to increase fan affinity not just to your team, but now what they're trying to do is get fans who are fans of a team who's not in the race, who will not play in October, to be fans of the sport. The way you get fans to be fans of a sport is two ways. Three. One, you make it a gambling sport, and then they're fans of the player or a particular game, not a particular team. Or you have them do fantasy, in which case they're fans of all the teams because as long as they have a player playing on in a particular game, they're going to watch the game. That's the second way. Or you just have a really exciting, cool product with interesting storylines that makes people want to engage. And what every league is trying to do is get younger. And they are stepping on each other to lower their demographic. The NFL was only too happy to tell you that Amazon's first preseason game with the average viewer was 51, not 56. That's five years younger. Way to go. Baseball is happy to tell you we always would have this as a talking point. The average age of a baseball fan for the first time in 16 years went down from 57.9 to 57.7. Hip, hip. Hooray. That would be a huge announcement. That means you're getting younger, right? When your customers just get older, boom, done. And then you're done. So turning around that demographic is critical. MLB sits around as they should, and they say, what can we do? What do we got? They announced this weekend, ah, I know how to get the college students. They don't play a lot of fantasy baseball. It's too much every day. It's exhausting. There's not a lot of gambling in baseball. I can't figure it out. Is it minus 110 to win this? Do you have to win by one and a half runs? What if the pitcher, it's the first five innings, the second five? Oy vey, it's too much. Here's what we'll do. 
we're going to give MLB.TV free to all college students. And we're going to do it. So if they sign up, they get it for free and they get the rest of the season. And we're going to give them the Dominican Winter Ball League. Yes, indeed. Let's make some money there. But here's the better one. We're going to give you spring training of next year. But that's it. If you want regular season next year, pay up. The hope is by getting the rest of the regular season, the postseason, then the offseason, the winter league, and the spring training, the young people will say, hey, look at my budget. It got bigger. I can now afford MLB.TV. No, that's not what you have to do. When you give something away for free as a way to get people to start using it and then you start charging it way down the line, all of a sudden, hey, I've gotten it for free for so long, I don't want to allocate the money toward that. I don't have the money to allocate toward that. What about the abuse? That guy's not in college. That guy's got a fake ID so he can vote. McLovin. If you try to get younger, what Theo is doing within baseball is the way. The way is that you engage younger people and you explain to them why it is worth it to spend their money on your game tickets, on your cable packages, on your streaming services, because it's cool. That's the way to do business. There are no shortcuts. And this is nothing personal.